Hello and welcome to the Ram Gad Pod. I am your host, Jason Economu, Government Affairs Director for the Realtors Association of Maui. Today, I do have an interview for you. It is an interview with Lisa Teichner from Keller Williams, Maui. Lisa is a friend and somebody that I just respect the heck out of. She is very smart, very capable. And while I was trying to get a better understanding of of how the real estate market on Maui might be reacting to COVID-19, I reached out to her. The conversation that we had just the other day was so beneficial that I realized I need to share this with the rest of my listeners and the realtor community. So stay tuned for that. Before I get into that, I want to share an article with you. It was posted on the MauiTime.com coronavirus updates, and it covers Mayor Victorino's announcement that he made last night, Uh, so on the 18th of March as opposed to the 19th of March, which is today. Uh, Mayor Victorino announces public health emergency rules for Maui County. So this is an article that's under their updates on the Maui Time website. Mayor Michael Victorino Wednesday evening announced a number of public health emergency rules scheduled to take effect at 7.45 a.m. Friday, March 20th. The rules include a requirement that restaurants close for table service and offer only takeout and delivery, a more strict mandate than Governor David Ige's request, made at a press conference on Tuesday. In addition, the new rules curtail curtail public gatherings and vehicular transportation, with some exceptions. Quote, we need to take dramatic action to limit the spread of this infectious virus. Mayor Victorino said, we cannot do this alone, so we're asking our community to follow these rules and look out for one another as we face this unprecedented crisis. Victorino's announcement differed from that of Kauai Mayor Derek Kawakami, who on Wednesday implemented a nightly curfew and asked that airline travel to the island be limited to essential needs only, asking visitors to stay away. Victorino asked visitors only to, quote, reconsider their travel plans to Maui. Maui County's new rules require restaurants and cafes that serve food within the premises to close. However, takeout and delivery service may continue. Bars, nightclubs, theaters, tourist attractions, and other venues where the public gather must remain closed. Grocery stores, farmers markets, supermarkets, food banks, convenience stores, and gas stations that engage in the retail sale of canned food, dry goods, fresh fruits and vegetables, pet supply, fresh meats, fish and poultry, and other household consumer products, gasoline, and products necessary to maintain the safety, sanitation, and essential operation of residents may remain open. Many stores are already voluntarily providing dedicated kapuna shopping periods, especially in the morning hours, for those over 60 or those of any age with medical conditions. The new rules require that all stores selling essential goods provide dedicated shopping hours for these high-risk groups. Essential activities which are exempt from the rules include 1. Tasks essential to maintain health and safety, such as obtaining medicine or seeing a doctor. 2. Getting necessary services or supplies for an individual or that individual's family or household members, such as getting food, pet food, and supplies necessary for staying at home. 
Three, engaging in solitary or small group outdoor activity, such as walking, hiking, running, or golfing, provided that you maintain at least six feet of social distancing. Four, performing work related to operation of an essential business or essential government function, defined below. Five, caring for a family member in another household. Six, caring for elderly, minors, dependents, persons with disabilities, or other vulnerable persons. Exemptions that relate to operation of essential business functions include 1. Healthcare operations, including home health workers. 2. Essential infrastructure, including construction of housing and operation of public transportation and utilities. 3. Businesses that provide necessities of life for economically disadvantaged individuals and shelter facilities. 4. Pharmacies, healthcare supply stores, and healthcare facilities. 5. Gas stations and auto repair facilities. 6. Banks. 7. Rubbish collection. 8. Hardware stores, plumbers, electricians, and other service providers necessary to maintain the safety, sanitation, and essential operation of residences and businesses. 9. Laundromats and laundry service providers. 10. Businesses that primarily ship or deliver groceries, food, and goods. 11. Child care facilities providing services that enable essential employees to go to work. 12. Roles required for any essential businesses to, quote, maintain basic operations, which include security, payroll, and similar activities. Quote, although the county will make changes to its normal operations to safeguard employees and the public, the county will remain open to serve our residents and the business community, Victorino said. These rules are necessary not only to address the spread of the virus, but also to allow our first responders, emergency personnel, and medical professionals to perform their critical functions with as much community support as possible. When asked by Maui Time if there would be consequences for breaking any of the new rules, county spokesman Chris Sugidono replied, quote, Our primary focus is to look after the health and safety of our community. Technically, violation of any of the public health emergency rules is punishable as a misdemeanor, with fines up to $5,000, up to a year in jail, or both. However, we continue to ask for the public's health or help and understanding as we take action to slow the spread of this virus. Other provisions of the rules include suspension of regular meetings or hearings conducted by boards and commissions, although they may be conducted via alternate methods where possible. The county is restricting travel on Pilani Highway from Ulupalakua uh, to uh, Kipahulu and on Kahikili Highway from Waihee to Kahakaloa Village to local traffic only. Earlier Wednesday, the State Department of Transportation announced that it was closing Hana Highway from Kapakalua Road to Hana Town to anything other than local traffic. Quote, while we take these actions, I am still encouraging our residents to go outside, go on a walk, get some exercise, and for this purpose, county beach parks will remain open at this time, Mayor Victorino said. I continue to ask the public to stop hoarding supplies, help our neighbor, and remain calm as we face this crisis together. 
quote, Maui County is on pandemic lockdown, and we're telling all visitors to reconsider their travel to the islands during this emergency. Please help us to keep our communities safe and minimize the spread of the coronavirus. General information and resources on COVID-19, the coronavirus, can be found on the County of Maui's website at mauicounty.gov. For more information and updates, please visit the state DOH website at health.hawaii.gov and CDC website at cdc.gov. The state has also set up a dedicated Hawaii COVID-19 website. So you can can also check that out. Let's see what that is. Yeah, so that's what's going on in Maui County. Um, There's been other news as far as Hawaiian Airlines reducing April flight schedule by 40%. Yeah, there's a lot going on, but um, you can Google that. I'll provide links in the show notes to the article that I just read, as well as other resources. Um, I highly recommend getting comfortable with technology and video conferencing software, because I think we're going to be looking in that direction as far as business functions coming up. And stay tuned and enjoy my interview with Lisa Teichner. Hi, I am here with Lisa Teichner from Keller Williams, Maui. And good morning, Lisa. How are you doing? Good morning, Jason. I'm good. How are you? It's a beautiful day to be alive and healthy. Yes, it's a beautiful day to be indoors and isolating myself. I (laughs) I like it. Um, I've, I've learned that largely the way that I live now is actually called social isolation. So I was, I was really well set up for, yeah. for this whole oh, crisis. Every day. Now, Lisa, I gave you a call because I respect you. I, I know you have a ton of experience. So maybe for those listeners who aren't familiar with who you are, maybe you can introduce yourself a little bit and talk about um, your past experience that might be informing what's going on now or why I'm okay. calling you now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So again, I'm a team leader for Keller Williams Realty Maui. We have uh, approximately 260 agents on the island. Well, I would say statewide because we've expanded to to the big islands. And we last year probably closed close to a thousand transactions last year. We, this is our fifth year in business. We've grown pretty rapidly over the last five years. Uh, So we've had that rapid growth. I've been in the business as a licensed realtor or real estate agent since 2006. I got my broker's license in 2010. So as far as economic shifts and some of the things that we're going to talk about today, I've really only been through, you know, one cycle of that. Um, However, I did work in the mortgage industry previously. And so that timing when I got my license in 06 and then I became a loan officer obviously was, was crazy, right? So the catalyst at that time was the mortgage market meltdown and everything that happened. And I was in the, the thick of that. So seen, you know, kind of a catalyst where things happen rather quickly and been involved in that. You know, I've been leading the agents here. I'm also the principal broker for vacationmaui.com, which is Whaler's Investment Group, is the company that is a property management company. So also seeing some of the things that are happening on the property management side. Uh, and then, you know, we have a principal broker here now. We manage a bunch of brokers. I mean, I'm not doing contract review. However, I am hearing from our team what is happening on a daily basis, which is changing right now, right, on a daily basis. It's been really fascinating to see what's going on with obviously coronavirus, but also just in general where we've been at at the market and how this has impacted that. 
So let me start off with the real estate side, because I also do want to ask you about the property management side. But just to begin for realtors, what are you seeing the initial reactions from clients based on what's going on right now with the coronavirus? So it varies. I mean, we've seen everything from, right, there's, there's, you've got two extremes and you've got everything in the middle. You've got an extreme of people panicking and fear and just kind of saying, hey, we're not going to do, we're stopping. We're not going to go forward with this transaction. We're going to cancel um, or we're going to extend, right? We're kind of looking at what can we do as a solution to be able to keep these people in the deal if they want to continue to do it and have the parties agree to an extension. So that's one of the things we've been talking about. I know California already came out with an addendum or an amendment to the purchase contract, which has to do with an extension. We've been looking at that. We're looking at releasing our own today. So one thing is, is mitigating kind of that fear and panic with the clients. Some people are just flat out canceling, right? Some people obviously have an economic hardship going on where they are, right? Half of our business here comes from off island. And so if you have a business and you're running one in California and they're in a shelter in place situation and all of a sudden your business is suffering there and you're buying a vacation rental condo here, that's gonna have an impact. So we're seeing that happen. Um, we're seeing lenders. We saw a really odd situation that I'd never seen happen before where a lender pulled out of the deal three days prior to closing. Uh, because the buyer was buying a vacation rental condo. They were using some of that income to help them qualify. And the lender wasn't comfortable with the occupancy rate, the projections, even though it had been based on history of that, you know, performance of that condo. And so they said, you know, here, we're going to change it. We're going to adjust the uh, percentage of occupancy and what we're going to take for rent percentage. And then that obviously affected the debt to income ratio of the buyer. They just pulled out. So we're seeing that happen, right, from the lender standpoint. Um, then we're seeing people that are, you know, cash buyers, high end, moving forward. Yes, they're, they may or may not be affected in some way with another business or income properties or commercial properties that they have. However, they're like, hey, I still want to have a place on Maui. It's a great time to buy. They understand. A lot, a lot of investors actually understand what's happening economically and see the value in still being able to purchase something at historically low interest rates, or if they're paying with cash, you know, maybe it doesn't affect them as much either. They don't have to worry about qualifying. So everything, you know, from one extreme to the other and in the middle is what we're dealing with right now. Now, to relate it back to the last market shift that you did experience after being licensed in 2006, um, are you seeing similarities or is this just a different beast altogether? There are similarities for sure. I don't think, I mean, I, yes, it's a, it's a different beast in where we're at right now at this point in what I would say is the market shift because of the catalyst involved, because of the health issue and the coronavirus and the pandemic. That is definitely filtering what's happening. And, and I'm saying that this being on the front end of what we're going to see moving forward. However, if you look at, right, historically what happens, and if you look at what happens with me and what I experienced, and what I saw happen in the last shift, those patterns are, those patterns have actually been there for a couple of years. We've actually been seeing this, you know, like forecasting this to happen for the last couple of years. Now, we don't want to create too much, again, fear about it and what you focus on expands. We don't want to cause things to happen. Um, and yet we have to be practical and look at, obviously we've been in this market cycle, meaning an up cycle for far longer than we did the last time and, and even historically than we have been. So in a sense, you know, you hear economists saying we're overdue for it. 
things probably had not escalated as quickly as they might have this year just due to the fact that it's an election year, um, right? So people tend to kind of stay put and not really take a lot of action. However, we would have uh, anticipated that after the election, yeah, things would have shifted, right? Where, you know, just economically in general with what's going on. So I think there are definitely similarities and patterns. And in fact, that's what you have to look at. I mean, I would say as far as advice or my you know, personal opinion and what we're kind of teaching our agents is we have to be prepared for that, know what those patterns are and be proactive about it. I mean, as proactive as we can be being in the middle of it right now, of it starting, um, that's what's going to actually help people in their business is to be able to take what is predicted, the way that people are going to respond, what's going to happen economically, what we're going to see in the market, what we're going to see with inventory, uh, what we're going to see with interest rates, and just be prepared. Do the activities and things that you need to do today so that you can continue to run your business. Definite similarities. Now, you had, you had mentioned the one lender who pulled out for a condo purchase, a, a vacation rental condo purchase, but, but that really raises a question of, we have various different types of properties on Maui, um, you know, the high end, the more affordable stuff, all that stuff in the middle, then we have the condos and, and single family residences. Are you seeing a difference in how any of those different types of properties are being affected thus far or how those, those purchasers or sellers are reacting thus far? Or is it all kind of still panicky? And, and Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say for sure. I don't think those trends have really sorted themselves out quite yet, other than the fact that we had seen the ultra luxury take a hit first, which is usually what happens, meaning the days on market starts to increase, um, say, 5 million plus. And then, so we were seeing more activity. Um, we were still seeing quite a bit of activity, say, under 2 million. And then anything that... Yeah, I mean, there's still activity in the step-up properties. There's there's definitely always activity, typically. I mean, even as the market shifts, you're going to see activity in the first-home buyer or the entry-level home. Um, so I don't, I, I would expect that trend to, to continue. Um, you know, but it's really hard to say based on what's happening, like, today. I would say, like I said, we have, uh, you know, we do have a luxury, you know, luxury cash buyers that are still moving forward. And then we still have, uh, you know, everybody scrambling to get into what they can qualify for right now, because the other challenge we're going to face, right, is as interest rates may increase, you know, that buyer power goes down and then we start to see the margin of who can qualify go down. And that's, that's tough, you know, because we, I think we talked a little bit about this on the call. I mean, on the one hand, people are saying, yeah, well, pricing is going to come down. So that's going to help people get into the market. And yet we know that your mortgage interest rate has a much greater financial impact on your life and lifestyle than the price that you purchased the property for. Now that's not to say you don't want to get a great deal when you purchase the property. We are seeing people renegotiate in escrow right now more, more than we have in the past. So that is one of the things that people are doing to react is the buyers are coming back to sellers right now saying, look, this is what's going on. There's a lot of uncertainty. I don't feel comfortable paying X for your property anymore. So can we renegotiate in price, which is one of the things that I would recommend people do to, in effect, bulletproof their transaction as an option is how can we make this work? And sometimes buyers feel better because of the uncertainty. And that might be like the $20,000, you know, that uncertainty may cost $20,000 in their mind, right? So it's, it's relative, um, but that's one thing that they can do to negotiate. And so we are seeing some of that. We're also seeing some appraisal start, not start uh, coming in, starting to come in lower. 
which is another challenge. So then there's negotiation based on the appraisal coming in lower. That that is happening right now. Yeah, um, you you made that that one recommendation that that sellers be willing to renegotiate their prices to keep uh, mm-hmm. keep transactions alive. Are there other recommendations that you might have for sellers or buyers right now if they are in the middle of a transaction? Yeah, I think um, the trick for the agent, well, let's talk, I think we talk about the agent and then we talk about the sellers because the agent is ultimately who our clients are looking, you know, the clients are looking to the agent to help them. So I think first and foremost, they have to be be there for them. They have to care about them. They have to see how they're doing. They have to know what's going on in their lives um, so that they understand why the seller is selling, right? Because how they can help them, yes, there are different tactics they can use like price negotiation, and we can talk about that. I think the first thing we have to really talk about is understanding where our clients are at at a deep level so that we can really make sure that we're helping them get where they need to go. And yes, you know, where, where it's not affected just by panic. If there's a legitimate reason that a buyer has to cancel, for example, or, or a seller has to take their property off the market because they don't have anywhere to go now because of something that's happened on the other side, then, you know, we have to do our best to support them in that and understand that. And so things are going to cancel because they need to cancel, right? Because of the situations at hand. And so the agents, and and that said, I want to encourage our agents to work together and realize we're all in this together and everybody is doing their best, you know, hopefully to advise the client properly. So just know that you may lose some more deals than you would if we were not in this situation. And that's, that's unfortunate. However, that may make the most sense for the client. Uh, That said, I do think things can get canceled where they don't necessarily need to be canceled. For example, again, work, you know, the agents working together on doing their best to make it work would be something like a renegotiation in price. Um, I think that, you know, again, they have to just be problem solvers. Some of the things that they also need should do is contact the lenders. So I think another thing they can do to be proactive to kind of shore up and bulletproof their transaction would be talk to the lender, be in communication, see what's going on on the back end to assure that you can get in front of any challenges, right? Like I mentioned that lender that pulled out three days before closing. Well, maybe that could have been saved, maybe not. Although if I would have known about it, meaning I or whoever the agent is, or the clients would have been having communication about it, you know, a week before that, perhaps that could have been resolved. So um, being a problem solver, just really, there is going to be, be a training. I will say there is a training that's just based on bulletproofing transactions that we're going to be doing. That'll be open to everybody. That's one of the tactics of the shift book. I mean, get that's a book I'm going to recommend to everybody that every agent should be reading shift right now if they're not familiar with it, because all of the principles that are in that book apply in any market and they especially apply right now. So the things that they need to do to be able to save their transactions are far beyond just the tactics that we're talking about or just being able to renegotiate, which is one of the things that they can do. An extension is another thing that they can do. As I mentioned, I think because there's uncertainty and fear right now, nobody really knows what this is, what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. Let's just hang out where we are to see if we can get our ducks in a row and continue to move forward because ultimately probably the buyer still wants to buy and the seller still wants to sell. Right. So getting behind that. Um, I think mindset of the agent is really important and how we lead our clients is really critical because if we're fearful and we're panicking, they're going to be fearful and they're going to panic. 
Um, the other thing is another thing that they can talk to their clients about because there may be financial concerns that the clients have. And, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to be tax advisors. Obviously, we have to be careful about what we're saying to the client. Yet one thing we can assure that they're doing and we're doing in our own business is, is monitoring, you know, what our personal and business expenses are, because there may be other things that they can do in their life that will allow them to stay in a position to be able to move forward with the purchase of the property or the sale of the property. Most sellers want to sell if they can get the price. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world unless it affects where they're going. If it doesn't affect where they're going, there I don't see any reason why a seller, if they can't get the price, especially in the market where I am right now, before we see pricing coming down, it's a, you know, it makes sense to sell. And it makes sense to buy if you can buy if you're getting a loan at this type of um, rate, right? Yeah. yeah. So to me, to, to sum up sort of what you're saying, it's that if you were a mediocre agent before the crisis, you're going to have a really hard time now. But if you were a good agent that was maintaining, um, you know, contact with your clients, understanding where they were before um, and, and sort of providing them the resources they need to be successful, it's largely business as usual, just with slightly different strategies involved. Would you say that's a fair assessment? I, mean, I, I think that that's partially true. However, the other thing that I would add to that is um, I think, well, any agent that's been through multiple shifts probably knows what they need to do to be able to survive and, and thrive because there's an advantage to being able to pivot, uh, which will show up at the end of the shift or towards the end of the shift, they can still maintain their business and income now. However, when that market rebounds again the next time, right? And I'm getting ahead of it, I get that. Um, that's where they're really gonna be able to see their business grow. I think that every agent will probably, almost every agent will likely need to change the activities that they're doing on a daily basis in order to maintain their level of income and find the motivated, right? Because what's going to happen is the amount of people that are buying and selling right now is going down. So yes, being a great agent and doing your job as far as advising your clients, that's all going to help because that's a value, right? As long as you're providing value to the client, they're, you know, they're going to continue to work with you. The question is, is that enough? Because if you're working with say, you know, 50 clients at a time, and then half of those people, and you're used to, and you have conversion ratios and all of that, right? So you say, I'm working with 50 people at a time, and I'm closing, you know, three deals a month, whatever that number is, that is going to change just because the number of those people who are going to be buying and selling is going to go down. So the question is, what do you need to do to get in front of who you need to get in front of and be in communication with more people to keep those numbers up? Does that make sense? I think it does. What, what does that look like? Um, like what tools are you using? How, how do the activities change? So one, that's a great question. Um, the first thing that I'm going to say, and you know, people hear me say it's just general and training, but I think that number one would be to double down on your lead gen, right? Your lead generation. So whatever you're doing to get business now that's working for you, double down on that. So if you are picking up the phone and you're talking to your sphere of influence or you're talking to online leads or you're talking to whoever you're talking to for two hours a day right now, you need to be doing that for four hours a day. So that's number one. Uh, number two, the thing that I would highly recommend 
is that they go through their entire database in the next two weeks. Like you're, they're now, depending on how big your database is, you know, we'll determine how you time block that schedule. Really, you should be calling everybody that knows you, likes you, trusts you, and your sphere of influence for your database and just checking up with them. You don't have to say, how can I help you with your real estate needs this year? The conversation is probably, how are you doing? How are you doing? What's happening with you? Are you okay? Just like care about your people and just be in relationship and see how they're doing. So I would absolutely call and business will come out of that. That's not the why has to be you're coming from contribution and business will still come from that. So just, just call your database. Um, the other thing would be the price. You know, if we have active listings, what do we need to be doing in terms of pricing to stay ahead of the market? I have some agents that are uh, renegotiating their active listings right now with their sellers on list price because of what's happening and to make sure that, you know, seeing the direction that we're going, they, they need to be priced ahead of the market because, you know, that will pay off down the road and they really, and especially if somebody really wants to get their price or their home sold quicker, uh, that's something they need to be looking at is, is price reductions or price uh, repositioning, I should say. The other would be, as I said, bulletproof your transactions. Call all the clients that they're in escrow with right now and um, chat with them. Make sure that they're supported. See how they're doing mentally. Where are they at? What do they need to do to be proactive? And then in communication with the transaction team. So title company, as I mentioned, there's a lot of weird stuff going on right now. Um, that's that are in discussions about what's happening with title companies and recording, you know, in California, they closed, um, their, uh, offices there to record, you know, like what would be a recording bureau or bureau of conveyances here. However, they're able to, they were able to pivot and do some recordings electronically. Uh, one of the things we're looking at right now after what the mayor said yesterday is, okay, so if we have to actually close our offices tomorrow, how are, how are agents getting paid? Right. Mm -hmm. So if the title companies are closed and so I've got people on the phone right now with all of our title companies saying, hey, how are we going to make sure whether it's auto deposits, you know, are you guys going to be working from home and what do we need to do to be prepared? I mean, fortunately, we were already prepared to to support everything else remotely, virtually. We've already been in position for that. So that's been really beneficial for us. However, you know, the money and how that changes hands is critical. And also just making sure that the recordings, you know, are going to take place and that we're equipped to do electronic recordings here, which I didn't know that we were because we haven't been doing them. However, I did hear that they have been beta testing that for about a year, uh, which was a great relief to me because, and I think a lot of us, because we weren't sure that in Hawaii we would have been equipped to be able to continue with recordings. I mean, you know, we can get into an argument about whether we think that people saying that real estate transactions are non-essential business um, is, uh, you know, is legit or not, um, you know, when you're dealing with people's where they live. And I think that's kind of nuts. However, you know, it is what it is. So we have to deal with it and work with it. Um, the other thing would be to read, you know, to get, read the shit book. I mean, I mentioned that just get understand what those tactics are and start to take action on those immediately. One big one is reducing business and personal expenses. I mean, one thing everybody can do today, I don't care who you are. I mean, definitely our agents is go through your budget right now and then you can cut. I mean, we have a, there's a Facebook page called shift, uh, shift daily, man. I don't have it in front of me. It's I'm on it. It's, um, something like shift daily tactics or something to support agents and even on there everybody's going through and the last activity was let's all cut let's all see what we can cut in our expenses and people are cutting like you know two grand out of their monthly expenses 
So you would be surprised if you're not looking at it, right, at what you spend your money on. So how do you prepare? And then your clients can go through this too. So that's another thing is I would have them look at their personal business expenses and see what's a non-essential expense and cut that immediately because the first you know, dollar you cut in expenses is the first dollar you save, right? Yeah. Those are, those are really the biggest key things as far as taking action right now on what I think that people should be focused on or agents should be focused on. Now, you mentioned before property management. Um, let's, yeah. let's shift off of, of the realtor side of it and let's look at the property management side of it since a lot of our members are property managers. How are they being impacted? Because I'm sure it's, it's a pretty big impact. And what, if anything, do you predict or foresee? How yeah, that's cope? a tough one. I actually um, was uh, going to call my lead property manager today and have a conversation with him about what he's seeing. So I don't have a ton of that. Although what I can tell you is obviously what we're seeing is um, is people canceling their vacation rentals, right? Because they're yeah. not coming here. And now the governor's saying, sorry, you know, Hawaii's closed for 30 days. Um, that has a, obviously a domino effect. So the biggest thing, first thing would be for short-term rental managers, I'm sure they're all seeing it, is cancellations and bookings. And that obviously affects income for them, that affects income for the owner. Um, and so again, the conversations with the owner is, you know, are about what does this cash flow look like for you in your life? You know, is this something because they may have been managing property for several years, you know, are the people, the owners prepared to have that situation with their cash flow? If it's something that they're relying on, I mean, kind of fortunately, you know, some, this isn't the highest kind of cash on cash return that you're going to get. You can go buy, you can go buy something somewhere else um, and get a better return. People buy here because it's Hawaii and it's Maui and they can stay in a vacation rental condo. And yeah, it can definitely support, what they're paying for it. And it also, they can certainly make money on it, a profit, net profit every year. Um, although, you know, I'm, I'm trusting, I know this is not the case for everybody that maybe that's not going to by, by itself, hugely adversely affect their financial situation. It certainly could affect them uh, wanting to sell, right? Because so over the next couple of months, that occupancy rate goes down. And those people most likely will start, you'll start seeing more vacation rental condo owners listing their properties for sale just because they go, you know what, I don't want to deal with whatever it is that's coming or continuing. And I don't want to keep floating this thing if I have to be putting money out of pocket. So I, I would anticipate that we're going to see that happen more. So inventory in, in that area will probably open up. Um, you know, long-term rentals are a different animal entirely just because of the fact that people um, you have, you're serving a local community of where people have to live and they pay rent. And that's still a need. Um, obviously, as we saw in the last market shift, a lot of people ended up moving off the island because, the, because of affordability, right? Them not being able to earn the income that they needed to earn, it being expenses to live here. Uh, rental, you know, I do anticipate that rents will come down, right? Um, as things change and inventory opens up and the demand is not as high as it is right now. So... I think that's kind of where we're at with, with rentals. And then I'll get some more information probably when I talk to my lead uh, property managers today. Now, one of the, one aspect of being a realtor or a property manager is that you have a lot of contact with people. And you referenced yeah. before that you know, Maui's sort of closed for business and the mayor put out his proclamation telling people, you know, cut back on the non-essential functions. Uh, what are you telling your people as a leader in, in your business, um, your subordinates, what kind of guidance are you giving them to cope with the social distancing aspect 
of, of this crisis and, and really everything else. And, and yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll add on to that. Um, in particular, we have a lot of new agents maybe who've never seen a time that hasn't been as prosperous as the last, you know, five years or so. Oh, yeah. and, and this is scary for them. So I guess the guidance for your people as far as how to deal with the social distancing, distancing um, and then the guidance for new agents who might be freaked out right now. Yeah. Um, well, health first. I mean, that is definitely something that we're saying is, look, you, you can't take care of anybody else if you don't take care of yourself. That's true, right? Put your mask on first. Make sure that you're taking care of yourself health-wise. That's number one. Um, number two, don't panic, right? That, you know, how you're able to keep mindset is number one and how you respond is going to make a huge difference in terms of what they're doing because our agents are leading too, right? They're leading their clients, they're leading their families. So everybody's a leader in this. I think what I'm, the message that I'm working to get across is really to take care of themselves, to not panic and that said, if they're at home or they can't do what they need to do, like an open house that they normally would be doing or showing a property or being face-to-face -face with somebody to work and run their business, they must adapt and shift and pivot and work remotely and get, you know, if they're not tech savvy already, already they need to learn how to use Zoom to continue to have consultations, which we just, we just sent out actually a tutorial on how to use Zoom because I hadn't, it hadn't occurred to me that people didn't, maybe didn't know how to use it. And my coach was like, well, do your agents, you know, does everybody know how to use Zoom? And I said, well, that's a really good idea. I don't know. So we sent out a tutorial yesterday, just a short video that said, hey, use Zoom. So they need to really look at how they can run their business virtually. I mean, fortunately, we can do an end-to-end -end transaction. We can work with consumers virtually. We do it all the time because half of our business is off-island. And yeah, a lot of times they come here and look at a property, but sometimes they don't. You know, so, so we actually are equipped, I would say again, and not panicking, know that we're equipped to run our business this way, fortunately. Um, do not sit back and just wait. Do not, this is the time to take action. And this is the time to be proactive in their business because, you know, fortunately we can see our pipeline 90 days from now. You know, this is mm. a pipeline business. It's a sales business. So if you're an agent and you're looking at your pipeline 90 days from now, or you're looking at what you don't have pending, your job is to get something in escrow so that you can protect your livelihood and have some income, unless you're doing something else that's giving you income. But probably if you're working another job, which some agents do, you know, they're gonna see some challenges in that area as well with that other business. So this is the time, this is the time to do the work, to get systemized, to learn how to run your business at a high level virtually, and guess what that's gonna do for you down the road? that's gonna help you tremendously. If you can shift and pivot and adapt and do what you need to do today, that's only gonna help your business. This is a career, right? This is a long-term, you know, the reason again, not panicking is this is not doing, you know, your best year in real estate this year in 2020. Not every year is gonna be your best year in real estate. Not every year is gonna look awesome. There's going to be years that are not. However, you do have control of a lot of how that happens. Certainly we don't have control of some of the things that are happening today. Yet we have control of what we do every day and reaching out to people, doing what you can to be of service and coming from contribution and helping is critical. And it's also critical to know what your job is as a real estate agent and to do that job every day because it will pay off. You'll be able to make it through. You will be able to make it through um, if you can do those things and get systemized as much as you possibly can. That's another thing. Um, look at different sources of how you're getting business. If the main source of how you get business is 
drying up because of what's happening. So, you know, everybody's a little bit different. I would say everybody probably is getting a source of business from their sphere of influence. That's usually, you know, repeat and referral business. Anybody who's been in the business for really any length of time is going to have a repeat and referral business. That's your main one. Focus on that and two other things that you're going to be using that your business is going to be coming from this year and double down on that and just do the activities. Now I get that people may be at home and their kids are at home with them and it may be a little bit challenging uh, for them to, to work from home. And so that's why some people go to an office. That's why some people go to an open house. So for those people, I would say, get your, get your family involved in what you're doing. Get your kids, have your kids help you do some work. Like what can they do to be productive? What kind of an example can you set for them right now? Take it as an opportunity to help them. Now, if they're really little kids, I get that that's my, you know, they're not going to be doing like filing for you if they're <laughs> probably two, two years old. Um, yeah, I think it's really just a time to systemize, you know, follow proven models, double down on your business. And also, you know, you're going to have to be a little creative with how you're managing your life right now. For just real quick, that shift book that, that you keep on referencing, do you happen to know the, the author's name off the top yeah, of your head? Yeah, it's um, Gary Keller, Jay Papazon, and um, I think Jinx is the other. I should have it in front of me. I should have put one right here where I could uh, probably, okay. Shift. I could also, I'll, I'll put like an Amazon link in the- uh, Yeah, there is- um, it's, it's, I know it's Gary Keller- and Jay Papazon and let's see, Dave, I think it's Dave Jenks is the other author. Yeah, Gary Keller, Dave Jenks, and Jay Papazon. It's called Shift, How, to, How Top Real Estate Agents Tackle Tough Times. And um, it looks like there's a free sample on Google Play. I have some of those books. I mean, you can order them on Amazon, on Audible. I had heard that they were offering some people free books, so you might be able to find that. I, they were supposed to send us a link of how people could actually download that, I think, for free. If you join Audible and you're not, a, you know, you can get credits and mm. download it for free. So definitely I would read that. And so what we're doing with that training is every week, so starting next week, we're putting the schedule together right now. We will be, I will be teaching and some of my top agents and I'm, I'm going to invite other guests from other companies. Anybody who's to be guests and talk about their experience in shifting markets. I think we all really have to, we we're again, we're in this together. We have to work together. I mean, we are a small real estate community here and it's the more we can work together on helping each other make it through the better off we're going to be as a community. And so we'll be doing these shift tactics. I'll be sending it out to everybody. It'll be weekly at minimum weekly. And we'll be focusing on probably like a tactic every week of the 12 tactics. So it'll go on for 12 weeks. And then if we have to repeat it, we'll repeat it. We're, I mean, we're just going to keep focusing on it. And then there'll be action items that people can do that will help guide them. And then we'll have guests. It'll they'll probably be the classes themselves are usually about three hours long. So I'm not going to do probably the three hours. We'll do like an hour and we'll do an overview of the tactic. Um, it's kind of like a book club too. So if you're looking, going through the book and getting through it, it'll be, okay, here's the tactic. These are the action items to apply it. And now we're going to talk to so-and-so from such and such company that's been through this before. And this is an area of expertise of theirs and they've done a really good job in this area. So let's learn from them. And that's my intention. And uh, we're going to be supporting everybody virtually anyway. We're doing Zooms anyway. So I just said, why don't we just invite all of Hawaii to participate in this? So that's what we're going to do. 
That's super cool. Are you going to be recording those and making well, those available as well? We will be recording them. Yeah, we can archive them. Um, we'll have to figure out what platform makes sense where everybody can access that, although it will be via Zoom. So I suppose what we could do is send out the recorded link to everybody in the board after they're recorded. Absolutely. I'm happy to, you know, I'm happy to throw up the audio as well as podcast episodes if you want. Um, and I could, awesome. I could, yeah, so I could okay. just list it as, you know, Keller Williams, Maui, um, Shift Tactics, okay. Weekly. Yeah, great. that would be great. That would, that would be a yeah. huge resource. Yeah. I mean, we started teaching this, I'd, I'd say we probably started maybe two years ago teaching the Shift Tactics, anticipating, you know, nobody knows exactly when it's, when we're going to start to see it or feel it. Um, and now, right, here we go. I mean, now granted, some people may say, well, we're not, we're still not in a shifted market. We're still seeing a lot of activity. It's just the coronavirus. Um, you know, that's not, I believe that coming out of this, that we actually are in that shift. I mean, I believe in a lot of leaders believe and Gary Keller believes and, you know, we, we talked about this is that we are going to see like, this is where the cycle starts to shift. And this is just, this is really accelerating that. So Again, these activities are things that people can be doing all the time in their business. So I think it's really important. And um, yeah, I mean, some people, I, I don't want new agents, you, you, you said about new agents getting into the business right now going, oh my gosh, what am I doing? And we, we do have some people that are going, I don't know if I really want to do this. And I don't know if I really want to commit to this. Um, and that's okay. And that may happen. What I would say is it's, there's always opportunity. Uh, you know, there's opportunity in a shift. I mean, when you look at when people build their wealth, I mean, how, how millionaires are created. I mean, it's when people are positioned to do things in, a, in, a, in an economic climate like this or what we're seeing or what's coming. So I encourage people. I say it's a great time to get in the business. I got into the you know, mortgage business in 2006. So, it's, you know, and here I am. So I think it's what it will do is it will actually help you build habits. If you really jump in right now, the advice that I would give to newer agents or agents that are struggling is if you really take the reins and jump in right now and get the tools that you need to be successful and do it, you will have a long career, successful career in this mm. business because you're going to set up habits that are going to build a foundation for you, for your future business. So I think it's a great opportunity. I I'm think you're very optimistic. I, you know, it is optimistic, but I think you, you bring up an excellent point, which is if you have to build your foundation during a time of hardship, that's going to be a pretty strong foundation if you get it built. Yeah. Now, you know, because it is a time of hardship and economic uncertainty, some people might not be able to develop the habits necessary to, to complete that foundation and to continue on with the business. Yeah. But, you know, I, pressure makes diamonds. Mm -hmm. And right. if, if right now we're in a high pressure situation, uh, especially folks who might be on the younger side who have a lot better understanding of technology and how to use technology and, and integrate it into their business practices, um, this is an opportunity. So, yeah. so I'm happy that you're, you're bringing that more optimistic view of what's going on uh, as opposed to, you know, everybody run away, start farming, do something else. Cause that's usually how I sound on this podcast. I'm, I'm usually, <laughs> I'm usually like, everybody needs to get off the grid. Uh, so, <laughs> so I think well, that is actually another thing that's funny you say that because, um, no, we did have, I think it was Dean Otto at one of our team meetings had talked about, yeah, some of the scripting. I mean, we were kind of talking about scripting for our clients at the time. And one of the scripts that came up had to do with the fact that, hey, we're on an, where would you rather be? I mean, it's kind of a joke, but not really a joke. Is like, if you're going to be quarantined, if you have to, like, what are you going to do going into 
um, what's going to happen economically and wouldn't you rather be on an island, um, you know, come to Maui, buy a property here, come live here or have a second home here. So, you know, he uses those things to his advantage. And I think, I think some of the agents do and, and some of the buyers, you know, that's a conversation you can have with them and it works and that's exactly what they're thinking. Um, so yeah, I think that works too. If you're saying, okay, I'm going to now support the people that are looking to get off the grid and this is a great place for them to do that. It's kind of, you know, it's one of the tactics, find the motivated. So who, you know, that's what they need to be focused on is who should I be working with right now that I'm not working with today that are going to be my buyers in this climate that are going to be the people that want to list their property right now. And that those are the questions that they need to be asking is what's the market of the moment and how do I find the motivated? Now, this is sort of a, a weird question that I did not prepare you for in advance, but we, we do have policymakers and, and people in government who listen to the show. Um, what would you like them to know about the feeling of your agents or, or you and, and the business in general and how they could support the business and the industry and how they can keep away from making things worse? In yeah, your that's business? a great question. I mean, I, you know, I mentioned to you, I think when we spoke, um, really what I want to stress is, you know, the fact that already that, that what we are doing is not considered essential, an essential business, I think is problematic because of what we're helping people do with something that they would consider essential in terms of housing. So mm. I would, I would challenge them to change their perspective about this business not being essential. And maybe I'm wrong that, that, that they, that when I say that they're not considering that, how however, what I read, you know, just in the mayor's proclamation last night, what I'm hearing that's happening in California, um, I would say, you know, pay more, pay attention. What are, what do people really need to be doing here? And, and what is the domino effect of creating challenges for our people that really do want to, to transact real estate here? Um, now, that's one thing. Uh, the other thing, obviously, we, you and I have talked about it, and they probably heard this already, but really would be with the, the stuff that's on the table right now in terms of limiting foreign investors being able to purchase here or, um, you know, challenging or, or changing, reversing Minotoya. Those are things, and, and just what, what's going on with the, the short-term rental housing permits, you know, that debacle. Um, I think... They, whether, and you would know more than I, I mean, whether it's a matter of them being more informed prior to having those conversations and making those decisions. Obviously I was on the government affairs committee and I would go to ledge day and we would have these conversations face to face. I think the, the biggest message would be to before they make policy. And, and I would say as it relates to real estate, however, so much of what they do indirectly relates to real estate, even if it's not a specific, right. Uh, real estate things they're focused on just to have conversations. I mean, I would say with you, right? Have conversations starting with you and then with members and membership to find out what is actually happening. Because even with me in the leadership position that I'm in, I'm not doing contract review anymore for agents. I'm not in the field as my brokers are with the agents on a day-to-day -day basis. Yes, I get a lot of that. It comes to me and I hear it. However, I've got to, I have to go to them to be in touch with, you know, boots on the ground, so to speak, what's happening. So I would say to anybody who's involved with creating policy is assure that it's not just a room of talking heads of people that are not at all related to what's happening in the boots on the ground with what they're making policy about, if that makes sense. And I'm sure this is like your soapbox that you talk about too. That, so I would just reinforce that and say, don't do anything without getting some information and gathering information and finding out what's going on out there. 
Yeah. You know, I think one of the big issues is that this is, this is the type of thing that affects everything below it. Um, you know, the, the coronavirus is having strange impacts in areas that you wouldn't necessarily immediately think of. And there are some things that are, you know, I guess by way of example, I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday about wastewater. Mm-hmm. And wastewater is, is an interesting subject because it transmits diseases. But when it comes to guidelines being provided by the State Department of Health, I don't think that they've you know, if I'm not mistaken, as of yesterday or two days ago, they they hadn't really created new and detailed guidelines related to wastewater for the people handling it. Meanwhile, that's mm-hmm. a major aspect mm-hmm. of, of public health, wastewater. Mm-hmm. And one of the, the comments that I made was it's because people who are in politics are generally humanities majors, and they don't understand what the mm-hmm. chemists and the microbiologists are, are talking about when they, when they raise an alarm. Right. And, and I think it's, it's similar with, with professions across the board, where you have a lot of elected officials who might not think of how their decisions will impact realtors because they don't have a real estate background. They won't think of how decisions impact, you know, restaurants because they don't have a food service background. So I, I think you're absolutely right that, that it's a matter of, of making sure we are advocating for ourselves and reaching out to policymakers and letting them know, you know, one, that we understand the incredibly difficult position that they're in, yes. but, but two, reminding them that, that we are an important part of the economy. We are important members of the society in the sense that, that realtors are super engaged and you know, you mentioned before your network, uh, all the realtors I know, they, they know everybody on the island. You know, yeah. it's, it's just realtors can get information out. They can, they can get people's, um, they can aggregate people's thoughts and feelings on, on behalf of policymakers when they choose. So uh, I, I'm hopeful that, uh, that folks in, in policy positions and, and decision-making positions are, are listening um, and that they have our, our interests in mind. But. Well, and also just to yeah tack on to what you're saying, they I, I realize they are in a difficult position and there are a lot of factors involved in, in them making decisions. And I do want to say that we do have to trust to an extent. Mm. I mean, we have to trust them to do their job and we have to know that they are going to help. And when you look at, again, the widespread impacts of, of the coronavirus, I guess that was kind of a pun that wasn't really intended. Um, the impacts of the coronavirus, there are, again, we have to trust that they're going to do what they need to do because they're also hearing things from, they're seeing what other governments are doing. They're, they're taking whatever precautionary measures they need to. I understand what um, Victorino did. I understand the health, health and safety concerns. Uh, I'm not, and I, and I do think that's really important and also getting money, you know, into the economy, obviously the fed, the, the feds reducing the fed funds rate, you know, and working at on what they can do with that economic lever, like all those decisions I get. And I think, um, some, uh, some of those decisions are really good and really need to happen. I guess one of the thoughts that I had while you were um, saying that is, so one, not putting a Band-Aid on something that is going to take, has a long-term impact, right? So when they put a Band-Aid and not look at how this is going to impact things in the future, that's problematic. However, when we're reacting to an emergency situation, that can happen more often than not. Here's an idea, and I don't know if this exists. This is something I would ask you if you know if this exists, would be even if it's not, you know, I said get to the boots on the ground and know what's happening, and you just said the same thing too, is we need to talk to these different industries and these different people. Are there representatives? Like what if it was a advisory group 
I don't know, for lack of a, a better term, uh, that had different segments of the population, whatever that is, that, that's that are impacted by the decisions that they make. And we could do it on a local level initially, right? Where they could before, now I get you can't talk to everybody, everybody's gonna have an opinion, and if you have too many people making a decision, you're not gonna get anywhere. However, you know, I know they do community meetings and community forums. What if though, you know, we had people that really were a good representation, and I know good is relative, of what, you know, subsection of the population they need to be speaking to before they make these decisions, right? Do they do that now? I mean, do we have like a representative from X area? I, I know you are, I know for real estate, obviously we have a board and you as a representative to, to speak to them regarding what the realtors are looking at. Does that exist throughout the community with other people and other um, professions and other areas? It, it does. And um, this is actually, this is a good time to talk about how not all lobbyists are evil. You know, that's, that's in the form of a lobbyist. That's what you're saying. Well, in the form of a lobbyist, but, but the lobbyist is really just the mouthpiece for the trade organization. So okay. there's a lot of different unions out there. There's a lot of different uh, business organizations. You know, the Chamber of Commerce is probably the best example of a traditional, you know, business organization where, where they represent, they have a whole bunch of different folks who, who are members, and then they have just a few folks designated to reach out to government officials. Um, beyond that, there, there are, you know, like advisory groups, um, and working groups, you know, the ag working group is a good example. Um, they're probably, you know, the county council, I imagine, is, is probably reaching out pretty heavily to the ag working group right now to to get their input on how ag is being affected and, and to speak on behalf of that industry. Um, so where yeah. do you think the piece is missing then when they have those conversations, which again, yeah, I remember, you know, going to ledge day and, and having conversations with people that, that we have certain things on the plate that we're looking at. So if all the other groups are doing that, that's great. Where, what's the missing piece as far as what you think? Okay. So this goes back to the, not all lobbyists are evil thing. Um, you know, over, over the past, I don't know how long, uh, decades, but, but really in particular the past 10 years, there's, there's been this focus on, you know, get money out of politics and I'm, I'm a Bernie Sanders guy. So, so that really speaks to me. I kind of like that message of get money out of politics. But the thing is, um, Money in politics is different than allowing organizations to hire somebody to represent their interests. You know, we need to stop thinking about lobbyists as these, you know, evil creatures doing backroom deals because I am super duper transparent. Um, you know, anybody that, that reads the Thursday things notes that I put out or listens to the podcast, um, or has a conversation with me, ever emails me, I believe in, in transparency. Um, now when I'm talking with a government official, if they ask me not to, to say something, or if by context, I can tell that they, you know, they don't want certain information spread around. Of course, I, I do hold things back from, from the general public, but my primary function isn't necessarily to, to influence politicians so that my people make more money. My primary objective is to be a voice for our members and, and the industry at large. You know, I sort of see myself as, as a steward of the, the real estate industry on Maui and as an advocate for the real estate industry on Maui. And that doesn't involve me paying out any money. I mean, Ram makes endorsements uh, and, and we will make the, the legal uh, level of, 
of campaign contributions to people, but that's, that's less than $3,000 that, that we could even possibly give to a campaign. That doesn't have that much influence. The main thing about these trade organizations like RAM, like NAR, like HAR, like um, you know, any, of, any of the unions even, is that it it's, helps the industries develop a clear message and gives leaders, uh, community leaders and, and government leaders, somebody that they can go to a point of contact. Right. Because it's really impossible for um, you know, Council Chair Alice Lee to hear from all 1,700 of our members. Mm -hmm. And let's say she takes a random sampling of 10 of our members. You know, a lot of them might not be aware of what's going on policy-wise because they're, bus they're busy with their business. Right, sure. Um, yep. so, so they hired a lawyer, me, to be aware of the policy stuff, see how it affects their business. And I can come up with a more clear and concise answer to questions rather than somebody who's trying to do business at the same time and who's, who's sort of an amateur when it comes to policy. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what is a good idea is for all communities, whether, whether it's an actual business or whether it's just, you know, people interested in, in certain objectives, you know, let's say, um, consider neighborhood watches mm -hmm. or, or even, uh, Kelly King was talking about virtual neighborhood watch groups, but, but really just for the purposes of having communities in contact with each other, you know, these in large part, a good example of that would be the uh, community plan advisory committees. Yeah. So, so I like the idea of people with shared interests designating an individual or two to, to reach out to government officials on their behalf, because right. that really clears up the pathway. Yeah. You know, we don't need um, the Sierra Club representative and 100 additional testifiers saying the same exact thing if we could just trust that the Sierra Club representative does have their their members' interests in mind. Right. Um, you know, on the individual business aspect, we see this in RAM too, where I have contact primarily, you know, largely with brokers as opposed to with all of their agents. Right. You know, it's, it's a chain of command system. Yeah. So I like that. Um, Right now, if you are part of a group, you might want to designate somebody to to speak on your behalf and and come up with a, a clear mission statement and plan and and unified message. So it, it doesn't it doesn't take much to do that. Um, it's just that that RAM has a lot better of a structure in place already, and that's because you know, like Dave DeLeon and Lawrence laid a good foundation. Terry Tolman and, and Dave Ballou, um, have, have kept the, um, the structure really well-maintained. The National Association of Realtors and, and the Hawaii Association of Realtors provides an incredible amount of support. So we have a, a strong voice, one, because our numbers are so high, but two, because we're really well-organized. Right. I think it's um, a good example for people to follow. I mean, that's actually a really good point is, you know, having other organizations follow a similar organizational model. Right. It's kind of yeah. the, in terms of, um, yeah, leadership, you know, who you've got, who you're in contact with and communication with, how that chain of commands works and how that communication flows. So, so that's great. I mean, it's great that we have such a good example of that. Yeah. I was just kind of wondering what other, you know, how, how does that happen in other organizations? <laughs> um, because I'm not super familiar with that. I mean, I get that they may have a spokesperson and, you know, and, or like you said, a lobbyist. Um, so I don't know. I mean, that's, that's, I guess, what I would say that's helpful also to hear your your perspective. I think it's great that you're able to communicate that with the members and let them know what's going on so that they can get information back to you. 
Uh, and I'm glad that you reached out to me as well. And I'm sure you're reaching out to other people. And I think that's important. I mean, I think to get a couple of different, uh, just to get a feel for what's happening right now as it's happening. And then obviously, who knows, a week from now, things could be different. Two weeks from now, months from now, certainly three months from now. Uh, I read an article this morning that uh, from a source you know, every, nobody really knows what's going to happen yeah. and how long this is going to last with coronavirus. Although I did read an article from, from somebody who it was pretty, pretty good, solid, legit source um, who had dealt with similar issues, you know, across the, uh, across the globe previously. And they're, you know, they're kind of looking at what I'm seeing is, you know, May, June, right? A few more months of this. And I guess we can look at where China's at. We can look at where Italy's at and kind of have some idea depending on how they're taking care of and handling it as an example of what we're going to see in terms of being able to control what's happening with the coronavirus, where people feel like they can open their doors again and start to do business um, in a regular way. And really, as I mentioned, I don't know that anybody sh will be or should be doing business uh, as usual when this does change, right? Again, an opportunity, mm. an opportunity for you to, to run your business a different way, not just as we're talking about as agents, but any business to be able to support. I think businesses are going to be redefined in this environment. I think yes. that, you know, missions will change. I think that the way they, they get out that it, that they reach people is going to change. So it's interesting. Yeah. I, you know, I think May, June is, is optimistic. I'm by no means a public health expert or infectious <laughs> disease. I've heard five months, I've heard a year, I've heard who knows, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I think it's also, you gotta, even when you see the projections, you have to ask, well, what are they talking about when they say under control? You know, yep, what does that true. mean that right. we can, that we can do rapid testing and, and isolate people immediately once we find out, because that's, that's a pretty high level control, more control than we currently have. So, right. so yeah, that would be a good, uh, good benchmark that, that we could get to as far as being able to test and quarantine people immediately. We're pretty far from that, but maybe by May, June, um, as far as, as complete eradication, I'm, I'm a lot less optimistic just because, you know, as we've been going through this, I've been thinking a lot about malaria. Um, yeah. And that's, that's because I, I lived in Uganda for four years. Right. So, so that's a place where malaria has not been eradicated. Uh, pretty much the whole continent of Africa still has it. And it, it's still a real part of, of everybody's life. It's, you know, when I live there, you're sleeping under a mosquito net every night or else you're just mm -hmm. asking for malaria. Um, mm -hmm. You're taking uh, medications generally on a daily basis, if you're trying to avoid malaria and there's still a possibility of getting it, or you could take, you know, medication on a weekly basis that has weird, gnarly mental side effects and you could still get malaria. And I'm, you know, from that experience, I'm managing my expectations moving forward with the coronavirus because, you know, a lot of people point to like H1N1 and how that was a flu and that was killing more people and we got that under control and that was a-okay. Well, I was talking to a microbiologist friend of mine, and she was explaining that, you know, H1N1 was, uh, it was a variation on a flu. So, so it was a flu vaccine that we mm -hmm. had to develop. And we're really good at developing flu vaccines. And it was one of those, those instances where we reacted quickly, and it's the unsung tale of, of how great vaccines are. Yeah. And this is different than that. And yeah. so, you know, it's really difficult to tell where things are going to go or, or how things are going to play out from here. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit worried when, when president uh, Trump talks about how the markets are just going to 
bounce back and, and everything's going to be better than it was before once this, you know, once the weather gets warmer. Um, the fact is the virus has hit places that have warm weather. Yeah. You know, well, we, and it can certainly I mean, uh, mute, you know, whatever, mutate. Mutate or and change, yeah. It can change too yeah. um, because it's surviving as well. And I mean, there's whole other conversations and podcasts we can do about like you've got, you know, the healthcare, the whole situation with healthcare and how that's being handled, right? Which also has an impact and what's going on. You have how people are responding to buying toilet paper and crazy stuff. Like you're going, what is wrong? <laughs> like, you're like, yeah. okay, well maybe this is, you know, the panic is a real thing that I have to be prepared. What do I need to, to be prepared that somebody's not going to break into my house and steal my toilet? Like, I mean, there's so many different ways you can go with this. I think yeah. So who knows? I mean, it is an unknown. It's something, this particular thing that we haven't dealt with before. So nobody really knows for sure. Um, I think we have to expect, you know, uh, or I, I guess anticipate that it might be whatever the worst case scenario is, right? We have to look at that and um, focus on assuring that doing whatever we can do to prevent that from having a negative impact or at least as little of an impact on our lives as a community, as a whole, as a globe, right, than, um, than it could otherwise. We just have to be, we have to be as prepared as we possibly can. We have to be informed. And again, you just stick to kind of the key things of how you need to run your life to survive and also be aware of, you know, being community focused and community based and helping each other. And it's kind of like the, we'll get through this, right? I mean, we will. Yeah. So, um, and then again, just really understanding what's within our control and what isn't. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to to talk with me today and giving us all of your insights. I will definitely. I think we should do. We should schedule a follow up a month from okay. now, okay. where where we um, where we we do this again and see how things are changing and um, and what what advice might might have changed in that time and, and what might absolutely. be working. absolutely yeah it'll be really interesting to see how it unfolds and i think the, the open communication is a really good idea i mean we've been having it daily and things have been changing right now from day to day so yeah let's do that oh my god i mean it, just think about where what you were doing two weeks ago yeah today. I know. you know like <laughs> just look at your calendar it's insane i know i know all right lisa well um, stay okay, healthy thank you thank you you too and right. take care talk take to you care. soon